Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome in to episode 138. That's season four, episode 19 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. And Doug, after taking the week off from the flight, because we let it go too damn long, we got a nice little game flight for this week. So let's go. The Canucks hosted the Toronto Maple Leafs at a 4 p.m. start and came away with a 4-1 victory. Elias Pettersson and JT Miller each had a shorthanded goal, scored on the same penalty kill, and Brock Besser and Quinn Hughes each had two assists. The Canucks stayed at home, and their next up was the Nashville Predators end up winning that one 4-3 in a shootout after blowing a two-goal lead in the third. Dakota Joshua had a solid game with the goal. Petey with the goal, as always, and Pod Colson as well. The Canucks then hosted the Anaheim Ducks and came away with a 3-2 victory in overtime. It was JT Miller's career game number 700, and he didn't disappoint as he had two goals Another shorthanded for one of them, and Elias Pettersson finished with two assists. Doug, that is uh, that's a sweep on the game flight, man. That's three games and three wins. Yeah, I, I don't know if we've had a all win game flight all year, so it's uh, it's kind of nice. What do you think of um, of all this? This is obviously now uh, a big topic in Vancouver with, with winning and late in the season. And I feel like, again, we've seen this movie before and we all kind of expected it. And now, you you know, is there is it a coaching bump? Is it the, you got Demko back? But all of a sudden, uh, they're playing more to the standard that I think a lot of us expected them to play this year. I mean, I, I think it's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. Uh, I definitely think Rick Tockett and the rest of the assistant coaches, Foot and Gonchar, have been doing a really good job getting this team to play with a little bit more structure uh, and just, you know, think before they pass because that was something that really wasn't happening earlier in the season. Um, and then obviously when you get a Vesna caliber goaltender like Thatcher Demko back, and Demko's been very good since coming back from injury. Um, and Archer Seelofs as well. I think, you know, the young kid deserves a lot of credit for, I think he's played six games now, I do believe. Maybe it's five, but I believe he's got like a a three and two record or a three and three record. And, you know, he's 21 years old. You usually don't see goalies that young making an impact that early in the NHL. So that's great to see as well. But yeah, I definitely think a part of it is goaltending. And I do think part of it is the Rick Tockett effect. Yeah. See lots is three and two, uh, 275 goals against and a 908 save percentage. I mean, that's, that's pretty good, right? Like I think, uh, I think if you get that out of any backup, you gotta be pretty happy. And I mean, that's now going to be the conversation going into camp next year. And I know Canucks fans are already divided about this, whether they want a 21 year old goalie as a backup. But for me, whoever wins the job gets it. If Seelofs his he's proven now he can play in the NHL. If he earns a job at training camp, I'm giving it to him next year. Yeah. Look, obviously I think it would be a great story. And the kid does look like he is going to be an NHL or at some point, you know, barring any, catastrophic injuries or major setbacks in his development. But I do think 
a full year being the number one guy down in Abbotsford, playing, you know, 40, 50 games in that season, I think will be really good for his development. Thatcher Demko, you know, wasn't an everyday starter. Either was Corey Schneider until I believe they were like 24, 25. So this kid still has four years, you know, away from, you know, when two blue chip goaltending prospects that the Canucks developed themselves actually started getting the backup job and then eventually becoming everyday NHL players. So I would hold off personally, but I do agree that if he is the best person out of training camp to win that job, I do think it's a good thing. Um, Also given, you know, some of Demko's recent injury issues and history, you want your best players on the team. I think this team is, pretty much all in for being a playoff team next year and whatever they think gives them the best chance to win. That's the team they're going to ice. Uh, all in for a playoff team. I feel like we've heard that before. I, I mean, look, uh, if Seelofs goes down to Abbotsford and starts there, I'm not going to cry about it, but if he can come in and be a competent backup and get 25 starts in the NHL, for me, that holds as much value as getting 45 starts in the AHL, traveling with the team, being up with the big club, working with, Ian Clark up there. For me, there's just as much value if, if you feel like, hey, Silas is the guy, you can get 25 games out of him. I'm totally fine with that. I understand. I know the Mikey D. Pietro effect in Vancouver has has fans kind of, you know, scrambling about goalies. Um, but you know that if Seelofs goes down there, they're probably bringing in two goalies as well. Like It's more common for a team to have three goalies down in the A. So you know they're going to bring in some other journeyman to, to play down in the A as well. And there's probably going to be another guy that gets brought in. Uh, so for me... You know, I, I, I'd say, again, you know, just whoever is the best at camp for me uh, deserves a job. And if it's Arthur Seelofs, hey, great. If it's Spencer Martin, great. If it's some someone who comes out of nowhere, great. In any case, at least with Seelofs and Martin, their cap hits are very low. And you know that whoever they bring in is going to be a low cap hit as well. It's going to be below them. You're going to be looking at a a, a league minimum $750,000 contract for, for another guy. So... Whatever the case, our backup goalie is not going to be costing us a fortune. And, and Rick Tockett being the the other kind of factor here that is that is different and changed with the team. We're 18 games now into the Tockett era. He's 9-7-2 with the club. So he's picked up points in 11 of his 18 games. I really like what he's saying with the media, how he's addressing the media. What I really like just as a, a fan of the game who grew up, you know, watching hockey in the 90s, I love looking behind that Canucks bench and seeing Rick Tockett and Adam Foote there. Like, that is some snarl behind the bench. I, I feel like this team has sorely missed that for a long time. Yeah, I really like Rick Tockett too. And, and you know, last year it was a little bit different with Bruce Boudreaux because I think the team really needed almost like – a, a hug and a fatherly figure to kind of come in and make them feel good about playing hockey again, where Tockett really comes across as a, as a real tactician. And he's a guy that it, and I know Boudreaux said he talked to the players all the time and all that stuff, but he really seems like a guy that likes to like break down film and break down tape and try to teach guys, be more of a mentor to the players. And I think you're seeing that effect. I mean, JT Miller is the perfect example of a player who, had struggles this early on in the season. I I don't think he was as bad as some people thought he was, but obviously he was making 
you know, pretty bad gaffes defensively and he wasn't scoring at the same clip he was last year. And he seems to have been totally reinvigorated. I mean, he's out there blocking shots. This PD JT Miller penalty kill, I mean, they've got, what, three goals in the last uh, three games, uh, which I think is really good. Uh, I really like that. And you're even starting to see a little bit more emotion, positive emotion, because I know there's a lot of people that have been speculating that there's there's been tension between PD and Miller. But you're actually seeing them like embrace each other, especially I was at the Toronto game, which was awesome. And the goal that Petey scored first in that shorthanded goal, right away he got up and he like pointed at Miller and gave him a hug. And then the second goal on the same penalty kill that JT Miller scored, it was just the, the whole stadium was going bananas, which was great. Um, and yeah, I just, I like to see that. I like to see that the relationship between the two players is starting to develop and evolve into a more positive one. And you know what? Just because you don't like the guy off the ice doesn't mean that you can't be a good teammate and respect what each other bring to the team on the ice. The only three players who are pointed game or better on the Canucks under Rick Tockett are Pedersen, Hughes, and Miller. And that's what you want, right? You want your best players. Kuzmenko is close, man. 16 points in 18 games. He's close. But those are the only three who are a point of game. Uh, I think as well with, like, Miller, for me, I thought he had a, a really bad stretch in December. Like, it was bad. It felt like he had the yips. Like, there, it was just, you know, he had voices in his head. It was just, he wasn't playing like the JT Miller we've known. But he has turned it around. I thought his January was much better. I thought his February was good. And I think we're now seeing, we, we're in a roll here in the last couple of weeks where I think we've seen, the, the JT Miller that we saw last year. And again, look, he's a point per game under Rick Talk. And I know people don't like the contract. And I, I'm sure the last couple of years of that contract aren't going to be great for the team. But I think if you're going to get this out of JT Miller for the next several years at that cap hit, uh, I think that's exactly the type of player that with this coach that could thrive in this situation and really mentor Pedersen and Hughes. And you mentioned the, that Pedersen and Miller exchange. I, I thought that was very telling. Like those two guys killing penalties, they got something and they really like playing for each other. And one other thing I just want to mention, and this is by no means a knock on Bo Horvat. I love Bo Horvat. But when he leaves, the dynamic of the dressing room changes. And so now you've, you've traded out your captain and you've got a new coach. The dynamic is different. And it's interesting to kind of see how things work out in there. Like Anthony Bavillier is another guy's uh, interesting one to kind of comment with that too. And even Connor Garland seems to have a little more oomph in his step. But uh, the whole dynamic changes. And now I think Miller is... I see Miller in more of a mentorship and assisting role to help Pedersen take the next step to be a captain. At least in my opinion, I think Pedersen will eventually be the next captain. It may not be next year, but they may go captainless. But I think that's more where where I see this sort of this chemistry evolving a bit more with Pedersen and Miller. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think he seems to be wanting to take a bit more of a mentorship to Pedersen and some of the younger guys, which is great. I know there was a video the Canucks released and they, I guess it was just after they'd gone over some film and it was JT Miller and Tyler Myers, I believe, talking with Talkit after the fact and just kind of going through some of the stuff that they went over in the film. Uh, the other guy, and I know he's actually been a, arguably one of the best additions that this management group has added to the team this year, but I think he's again found another level since Talkit has taken over uh, as head coach is... 
Dakota Joshua. Dakota Joshua. I was hoping, is, I was hoping you were going to say oh, that. He's been so good this year. And though he's been really, him and Nils Amon on the penalty kill have both been really, really good as that second unit to the PD and Miller first unit. And he's another guy who, who he's been pretty good all year. And I think, you know, a lot of fans would say he's been better than what I think we all expected. But since Talkett's taken over, it's like he's got his game up to that ne- next level again, which is amazing to see. One thing with Joshua under Talkett, he's got six points in 18 games. He's getting time on the PK. He's averaging, uh, I just guess he's close to two minutes a game now, averaging uh, in on the PK. But you take that, like three goals uh, as well. Like he's, he'd be pacing for about a 15-goal campaign uh, under full-season circumstances with, with this. Also, on the shorty situation, on since... Rick Tockett came in. The Canucks have eight shorthanded goals in the 18 games. Pedersen has four of them. Miller has three of them. And Horvat has the other. Like That's pretty crazy as well. That's really interesting to see that dynamic. But Petey and Miller combining for seven shorties over that 18-game stretch, that's uh, that's pretty impressive. I think it was uh, Cam Robinson. Uh, obviously, most people know who he is on Twitter. Does a lot of scouting um, and stuff like that. He said that, uh, I think it was after the Toronto game, I believe, or maybe it was the game last night, uh, Elias Pettersson has the most shorthanded points in the NHL this year now, yeah. um, which is great. And I, I, I don't think he'll get the Selkie this year, especially because the team is so far out of a playoff spot. Um, but if this, I, I think next year, if this team is a playoff team and PD can play at the same level, I think he's got to be in contention for the Selkie Trophy. I know the Hearts a runaway this year with Connor McDavid. You can, you know, you can make the argument a la Taylor Hall with the New Jersey Devils a couple of years ago for Tage Thompson if you can get the Buffalo Sabres into the playoffs. But McDavid is just so head and shoulders ahead of everybody ahead of everybody as far as the heart goes in my mind. But as far as the Selkie goes, I, I really, really do think Petey should be getting some votes. And who knows, he might even finish top five, top four in vote getting. I think Bergeron and just how well the Boston Bruins are playing this year, it's it's all but guaranteed he'll probably end up with another Selkie trophy in his arsenal of uh, awards and trophies. But uh, Petey, man, I, I definitely think this kid has what it takes to be a Selkie trophy winner, a repeated Selkie trophy winner. Not only just one, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a bold prediction that Petey will have two Selkie trophies, at least two, by the time his career has ended. March 9th, you know, 2023. <laughs> you know, I I I expect PD to be a nominee for the Selkie. I think uh I think he should be a finalist this year. I, I think uh I mean I've got Homer hats on right now too, but uh I, I mean you look at it, he leads the league in shorthanded points. Also JT Miller is tied for third in the league in shorthanded points right now, and Bo Horvat is tied for fifth, uh former Canuck Bo Horvat, but uh, it, it's Pedersen is he's got one more now than Scott Lawton, who I don't think will get uh, in there. Travis Konechny might get a, a nominee there. He's got six points uh, uh, as well, but I, I expect Pedersen to be one of the nominees. I think uh, he deserves it, and I'd be pretty upset if he gets completely shafted on this. And I mean, you know, you hear talk as well about Pedersen and how if he was on a good team, he could be in the Hart uh, Trophy conversation not this year 
maybe next year. But again, 27 points in 18 games under Tockett, that's a 120-point pace, man. Like, and, and yeah, maybe that's sustainable. Maybe it's not. I mean, the way he's been playing and the way he's been elevating his game, it, it does make you wonder. I mean, the guy is just, he's having a season. Yeah, I, I think, like, obviously his skating isn't the greatest. The only other thing I think Petey needs to potentially work on skating forward, isn't the greatest you, you gotta you gotta you gotta be so negative doug come on <laughs> man but the other the other thing that i do think he probably will end up working on and getting better at is just being a better face-off guy um he's he's good but he's not great um and then jt miller as well i th- believe jt miller is up over 50 percent on the year for face-off percentage wins which is. is huge yeah and he's 54 percent you know, there you go. And that's that's a really high good number uh, to win 54% of your faceoffs. And I know a lot of f- people thought once we traded Horvat that maybe those faceoff percentages would dwindle, but Miller's really stepped up and kind of taken over that role again as like a really top uh faceoff guy. Yeah, he uh, leads the team among players that are currently on the team and are regulars on the team. He is by far and away the only player above 50%. You're right, Pedersen, 43%. That's that's definitely a part of uh, the, his game that, that he needs to work on. Um, Doug, we got more Canucks stuff coming up here as well. We're going to go around the room a bit more. But before we dive into that, how's things uh, in your end? Have you all settled in over there now? Yeah. Uh, I like Delta, man. It's actually a Sawasan, whatever you want to call it, uh, South Delta. It's kind of nice out here, man. It's uh, it's kind of quiet, which is kind of nice. Um, so you, you kind of feel like you're a little bit in a small town, but you're again, you're 45 minutes to an hour away from the city. Um, you know, I I made the trek set last Saturday for the Leafs game. I was able to get home. You know, I know it was an early game, so it wasn't like it was a 7 p.m. start. It was an 8, uh, 4 p.m. start, but I was able to get home at a decent time. And yeah, I it's pretty cool out here. I mean, I'm hoping the weather's nice tomorrow so I can do a bit more exploring. I know the beach is apparently close to us. We haven't really had a chance to explore that yet. But yeah, man, Delta Delta's pretty cool. Well, what about you, Pete? How's uh how's the West End? Oh, it's not quiet at all, but it's still good, man. I mean, the the blossoms are coming out. It's been mild. I've had a couple of really nice runs over here. Uh, it's been uh, it's been pretty chill. I mean, for the most part, it's pretty chill. I've been pretty busy because, as you know, I'm going away next month, so it's just kind of getting all sorts of stuff done and going on. But yeah, nothing really too crazy or exciting over here. It's kind of uh, kind of just the same old, same old. Nice. Um, I was gonna say, and I know we don't like to talk about the weather uh, on this podcast, but <laughs> no, we actually the made weather a point has been not amazing. The, yes, the weather has, has been amazing these last like week or so. It's been so nice. Uh, red flags. We're talking about the weather. We're talking about the weather. <laughs> um, but yes, it is. Man, I I love it. It's uh, you know I did an epic bike ride yesterday, like a big one, kind of going out into East Van and South Van and through Kits. And man, it was just just awesome. It's uh, nice. It, it reminds you of what's coming up here, um, folks. You can also follow us on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore Gas. The podcast is at Canuck Speak. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. And be sure to check out the Canuck Speakeasy outro playlist on Spotify. Pete and I continue to build the playlist from the outro segments of each episode. And another funky jam will be getting added to the playlist at the end of this episode. 
and Doug as the editor of the last episode. Uh, I was pretty surprised by the choices, a track I haven't heard for a long time. Yeah, I went with a, an oldie, I guess, uh, uh, an early 2000s, mid-2000s oldie, but a goodie. Uh, it was a Cut Chemist, uh, What's the Altitude, featuring Hymnal. And uh, yeah, man, I, it's a track I hadn't listened to in a while either. And I had uh, Spotify on and it was just kind of randomly playing songs. And that song came up. And I'm like, man, why haven't I know? We, I think we have used Cut Chemist in the playlist before. Yes. There's um, one, but there's one a, on there. Yeah, I think it was a one that you picked. And so I was just mm-hmm. like, yeah, man, uh, I'm going to add this one on because, again, I love it. It's, it, it, it's a bit of a banger. Yeah, it's a good one. Real funky beat. Cut Kemet, such a talented dude. I mean, most people know him for um, being one of the DJs in Jurassic 5. Uh, He's also done some great collabs with other people. I remember one of the last times I saw him here was him and DJ Shadow playing on eight turntables, four mixers, and all 45 7-inch records. It was a crazy set, and they had some loop machines and stuff. It was was pretty wild, but a very, very talented guy. Yeah, I believe him and Shadow did that album together. Uh, I want to say in like 2010, the, maybe 2012. The Hard Cell, yeah. I think yes. it's The Hard Cell. That's yeah. it. Um, and yeah, again, like you said, uh, very talented, former DJ of Jurassic 5 as well. Uh, yeah, man. Um, I'm looking forward to see what you have planned for this episode. I got a couple in the bank. It just uh, depends how much we talk on the outro, and we'll see uh, We'll see what I use. But I got a couple queued up. I know what I'd like to use, so stay tuned. Watch this space. Um, Doug, I mentioned earlier uh, Kuzmenko, and uh, there, there's been some debate over the year about how the Canucks should, uh, what they should do with him. Should they trade Kuzmenko? Got that first-round pick, maybe, or whatever it was for him. Uh I was against that at the time, just because I think uh, he's got some chemistry with Petey. He's on. They I, there's the ability, and they did get him at what I think is a very good, reasonable deal. Uh, but Kuzmenko has now hit the 30 goal mark in his first season as a Canuck. He's looking like he's going to break Pavel Bure's record for most goals by a first year player for the Canucks. But 30 goals, 27 assists in 63 games for Kuzmenko. I mean, he's looking like he's going to top 70 points this year and could go on a bit of a heater and get close to 40 goals. Yeah. Again, I don't think any of us had any real expectations on what we were getting Kuzmenko outside of the fact that he was the top European free agent available and he chose the Canucks. Um, you know, I, I thought 20 goals would have been a, a phenomenal season for Kuzmenko. I predicted it earlier in the season as our like bold prediction show to start the year. And He's at 30 goals already. Like you said, 30 goals, he could finish the season with 40 assists. You know, I I guess if you wanted to look at it as the glass half negative, you could say, well, he's playing with Petey. It's kind of like when the Sedins were playing and guys like Trent Klatt would play with them and he'd have a career year or Anson Carter and he would have a career year. I mean, even Alex Burrows, and I think Burrows was probably the guy who sustained that bump more than any other player. And he also scored some pretty massive goals for this franchise throughout his career. So it's like, oh, well, is Kuzmenko getting a bit of a bump playing with Petey? I don't think so, because we've seen Kuzmenko kind of go up and down the lineup this year, and he is generally one of the guys that's generating an offense on whatever line he's on, even if he's not playing next alongside Elias Pettersson. So I'm really, really excited to see Kuzmenko continue to evolve and develop. And, you know, what, in your opinion, would, would be 
what are your expectations for next year for Kuzmenko? I mean, if he scored 20 goals next year, would you be disappointed? Uh, maybe he finishes with the same point total. Does he have to score 30 again? Does, is 25 okay? What would be your expectations as far as being disappointed with Kuzmenko heading into next year? Are you already talking about being disappointed with Kuzmenko again? Doug? Come <laughs> on, man. Come on. Um, look, I I think... I, I think somewhere in the ballpark of what Kuzmenko puts up this year, what I've noticed about his game is his game overall has gotten better. He's gotten more confident, and I would be surprised if he takes any sort of regression next year. He can take a slight regression, like if he gets to 75 points this year, if he gets 65 points next year, okay. You know, I can live with that, but uh, I don't know. I think it also depends who else is in the lineup, how they're using people, like who's back. I mean, the Canucks have a glut of wingers right now. And I, I think with their salary cap situation, I don't think we are expecting all these wingers to come back. So, you know, what happens with a Besser and a Garland and then, you know, Pod Colson is probably going to be a full timer. Is Niels Hogland are going to be a full timer. Ilya Mikheyev's coming back. Um, it's just to see, it's going to be interesting to see how the roster unfolds. But I do think right now, this Kuzmenko, Pedersen, Bovelier line, They've got something going on there, and it would be nice to see if they could find some running mates to work with JT Miller uh, consistently on the second line, however they decide to line that up. Yeah, I, I mean, I would like to see Pod Coles and Kratzoff play with Miller uh, more consistently. Ooh, yeah. I think that has potential to be uh, a good line. I mean, we've seen these little bursts from Kratzoff, and we could see the skill that this kid has. There was a couple of games where he, he looked very good on the ice. Um and yeah, I, I think there is a chance for this guy to to maybe not hit the potential that he was highly touted for when he was drafted ninth overall. But I, I do think this guy could be a very talented player and a, a useful player for this Canucks team. And Kuzmenko, like I said, man, I, I don't have doubts about him being able to perform at a similar level heading into next year. Um, I just know it's kind of like with JT Miller, right, where a lot of Canuck fans were disappointed that he isn't a point-plus a point plus game player this year, even though he was just under 100 points last year, and he's just under a point a game this year. Um, I, I, I think finding running mates with Miller, a consistent running mates for Miller, is going to be one of the things that I hope this coaching staff tries to focus on as this year winds down in the last, what is it, 17 games, I believe is what the Canucks have left on the schedule. Um, just so they can potentially have that chemistry already built up for next year. And the other guy that could be on this team is Nils Hoglander next year. He could be an everyday NHLer next year too. He's playing really well down in Abbotsford at the moment. And he's another winger with speed and he's got a little bit of snarl for a little guy and he's supremely skilled as well. Yeah, I think this will be, uh, this is Nils Hoglander's year and off season to come back to the NHL and be be a full timer. I think the the team is hoping for that and I think they're planning on that. I like your idea of Pod Coles and, and Kravtsov with Miller though. I really like uh, there's just some moxie with those guys out there and, and I know they they're friends and I know Kravtsov were the first person he called when he got traded was Pod Coles and and there's been a couple of times where 
Kravtsov has jumped in if Pod Colson is in there mucking it up because Pod Colson seems to be a little bit like a, a bit of a battering ram out there right now. And Kravtsov comes right in there. And I really like to see that. And I know that he's trying to prove to the, the team that that he belongs there. I mean, he's an RFA, let's not forget. So he's and, and I, I very much think that the Canucks will sign him. But they're still kind of easing him in. He's only averaging about 11 minutes a game right now. So he's not getting a ton of time. But I think uh, I think they like what they see. At least I, they should like what they see. And, I mean, that would be a bold move, putting those two guys with Miller. But I like it. I, I think there could be something there with those guys. I, I will say with both of them, like Kravstoff had a couple of good chances uh, against the Ducks last night. Um, I, it was nice to see him shooting it. And Pod Colson always seems to be snake bitten uh, in whether it's setups or, or shooting. He's I know he, ha- he has scored a, a little bit more lately, but... Those two guys need to find more of a finishing touch if they really want to make it work with JT Miller. If they were to put those two guys on Miller's wings and they're not finishing and they're not scoring, this isn't going to work. And, and this is all, of course, assuming that the Canucks do keep JT Miller as well. Yeah, and I actually think we're starting to see the coaching staff trust and give these young guys opportunities. Uh, the Nashville game, we saw Kratzov and Pod Colson both get overtime ice time. Yeah, uh, which you really haven't seen. Boudreaux didn't even really do that. And I know Kratsov wasn't on the team when Boudreaux was coaching, but with Pod Colson, and it was nice. I mean, I was looking on my Twitter timeline during the overtime, and every second person was like, whoa, Kratsov and Pod Colson both getting overtime. That's yeah. uh, ice time. I, That's great. I was one of those people. Yeah, and, and so I, I do think, and, and again, I'm not saying that Boudreaux wasn't doing this, but I think you're seeing it a lot more with Talkit where he rewards players who are playing good. And he's also not afraid to cut a player's eye. We saw this with the first couple of weeks with Kuzmenko, where Tockett, you know, was cutting Kuzmenko's ice time. Kuzmenko was averaging, I think one game, he averaged less than 10 minutes of ice time. Um, uh, this is obviously a few weeks ago, and Kuzmenko seems to have kind of powered through that. But he does the opposite, and he rewards players. In that game, I, I, I think most of us thought that Pod Colson and Kratzoff were very good for the Canucks, and he rewarded both those young guys with time and overtime, which is great. And again, I, I, I do think the Canucks have something with Kratzoff and with Pod Colson. They just need to find a center. And look, Sheldon Dries, to his credit, he's he's been very admirable for the Canucks playing yeah, that 3C got, spot. Yes, he he's got nine goals. Yeah, but you know, he's not your ideal 3C for this team. Um, again, he's played well. I mean, you, if you look at what, even look at the decor that the Canucks iced last night um, against the Ducks, that, you know, three quarters of that decor are AHL players. But, you know, they, they did come away with the win or whatever. And I, 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 you got to give credit where credit's due. And a lot of these guys who are probably more AHL players than they are NHL players have come in and they've, they've, played very admirably given the circumstances in the roles that they've been assigned. Hey, look, I, I, I haven't been as impressed with Noah Yulson. He's had some moments, but I will say Guillaume Brisebois and Christian Wolanin, uh, I've been impressed with those. And again, I, I think every time you say impressed, uh, it, especially in this city, well, maybe other cities too, but uh, certainly in this city, it's always tied to their, their cap hit. You know, it's like, is this guy exceeding their value or is he... Uh, under his value and so that's always been the thing with Tyler Myers right like Myers against the Leafs had a great game but that 
doesn't really matter because Tyler Myers is is not living up to his cap hit. Guillaume Brisebois, who also signed in a very reasonable extension, and Christian Willannon are playing above that. And I think a lot of Canucks fans are seeing, and even Kyle Burroughs as well. Like Burroughs has been getting more more ice time, especially with Luke Shen gone now. Uh, and you're seeing that, hey, some of these bottom guys, they're 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 good at coming in plugging. The problem is, is you can't have three of them in the, in the starting six, right? Like that's a plug. It's like a six or seven defenseman right now. Christian Willannon, though, man, he's leading the Abbotsford Canucks in scoring. The guy has fifty five points in forty nine games. He is having a hell of a year in the HL and definitely deserves a chance. He's also been the PP two quarterback, which uh, which is interesting to see as well. Um, I, I I like what I've seen from uh, a couple of these guys. Um, Noah Yulson. RFA. I wonder what they do with him. Christian Willannon, though, he's a UFA. So is Kyle Burroughs. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they decide to, to do with all these. Sheldon Drys, who you mentioned uh, as well, he's got another year. He's going to be on a, a reasonable hit. But, uh, you know, these other guys like Di Giuseppe, who's also played, I think, fairly decent as UFA. There's Some of these guys are going to have to go. And I mean, I know the Canucks do have six roster spots for next year, but... If you listen to Chris Faber at all, he's he's been preaching that the Canucks are going to be very active in the NCAA market, which is good. This is what they need to do. I mean, they need to find alternate routes and alternate players like Philip Johansson over in the in Sweden. That's another example of a guy that they went out and got. When your prospect pool is depleted, you got to go out and find these things. So it's going to be interesting to see how they navigate it. I would like to see the Canucks bring back Christian Willannon in some capacity. I think he's earned it. But again, there's there's a kind of a market that's been set for that with Guillaume Brisebois. If he's wanting more than that, it's going to be difficult. I mean, he's two years older than Guillaume Brisebois, and he hasn't been around the organization as long. So if if Willannon's going to get offered a $900,000 or $950,000 contract, I mean, he's probably going to go somewhere else And if the Canucks, because the Canucks won't do that. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, there's a lot of fans who think Willannon, and it's been a very small sample size. But there's a lot of Canuck fans who think Lennon's been better than OEL. And I think that's where it gets a little bit difficult moving forward. I, I would love for the Canucks to re-sign Christian Wolanin. I, I agree. I think he's definitely worth it. I do think he would get more than Breezeblad just with the amount of points and production he's been putting up in the AHL. He is a puck mover. And you always say this, Pete, and a lot of people say this as well, is like you want – Outside of like a guy like Quinn Hughes or a Kale McCarr, you really don't want to notice your defenseman, right? But Willannon, he actually does have those offensive instincts, not to the level of a Quinn Hughes or anything like that. But you do notice him on the ice positively. You you see his breakout pass. You mentioned since OEL's been down, he's been quarterbacking the second unit power play. He 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 is a very good player, but I just think that left side is a bit crowded. You also have Jack Rathbone, who is starting to get build up confidence with Abbotsford. He's been pretty productive the last couple of weeks for Abbotsford, putting up points consistently again. I know he's been injured, and that's kind of also hurt and hampered some of his development this year. Um, but if the Canucks, whether or not they end up buying out OEL and that frees up that spot on the left side for a guy like Wulanin and Rathbone to kind of fight out for next year, I think it's going to be a little bit tough. I really do to 
you know, when you've got such a huge contract and a player that you're kind of committed to for what the next six years, I think his contract goes till it makes it a little bit tougher. Maybe it's actually only four years, but regardless, uh, it, it makes it a little bit tougher for a guy like Wulanin who probably wants to be an everyday. Well, of course he does. All of them want to be everyday NHL players. And I could see teams out there that they're, you know, they're bottom pairing or even maybe, you know, they're, they're fifth defenseman Wulanin would be a big upgrade on in, heading into next year. So I think he could be a little bit tougher to sign, especially if they do make a splash in the college free agency. Like you mentioned, I know Chris Faber has been all over that. And there's a kid named Jake Livingstone who's from Vancouver or from BC. And he's arguably the most highly touted, big right shot, six, three defenseman. Um, so he's highly touted. I know Rick Dollywall saying there's at least 20 to 25 teams that are going to be in on Livingstone. And there's a couple other NCAA players that are fairly highly touted as well. But uh, yeah, man, I really like Christian Wolanin. I, I do think because he's played so well this year and now he's kind of playing games with the big club and he's looking like he belongs, that it might be a little bit harder to find him on the roster next year because he can probably get a contract on a team that could guarantee him playing top five minutes on their team yeah for those that don't know jake livingston uh, he's uh born in creston he's a right shot defenseman 23 years old uh six foot 205 pounds uh and he's playing in minnesota right now 30 points in 36 games former langley riverman as well uh kids got some skill and i mean again they bring the guys 23 another thing the canucks have to consider with their blue line is you have rfas in ethan bear and travis dermott as well and so i think a and this is all we haven't even seen philip peronic come in yet uh for me this is where the myers and the oel money it, it it gets very important to to move that in some capacity and i do think myers is more movable but again that's 13 million right there and you got to then decide, are, are Bear and Dermott going to stay? Will Landon, who we've mentioned, Kyle Burroughs, uh, are, are all these guys going to stay? Like, they can't all stay because if you want to make changes, you're going to have to let guys go. And if you have Hughes, Heronic, Myers, and OEL, that only leaves two spots. And let's say they do sign Dermott and Bear. It's like, okay, well... Is that as appealing for a guy like Livingston coming over here? Like, is Willannon going to resign, or what about a Kyle Burroughs? What does that mean for Jack Rathbone as well? Um, it's going to be really fascinating to watch how they navigate this and what they do. I do feel like just just a kind of a hunch. I feel like they're going to bring in another right shot defenseman, and I know the name you keep hearing is is Severson out of New Jersey. A lot of the time, that's a guy that that people out here would love to bring in, but he's going to cost you a lot. Like getting guys like that via free agency, it's going to cost you more than uh, what a, you're paying a guy like Philip Heronic. So I, I don't. I also I don't think the Canucks are going to trade their first rounder unless. And this is the only way I would do it. So this is my unless is they are getting a blue chip right shot defenseman who's around 20 years uh, that has already seen some ice time. And you look at like, OK, this guy's got something that is the only way I'd even consider it. And it would have to be after the lottery is done so that we aren't we know we're not top two or something. But I otherwise I, I don't, don't see the Canucks parting with that pick. Yeah, I mean, Travis Dermott's kind of like the forgotten man on this blue line. And the other guy, actually, who apparently was skating, I don't think he's expected to play again this year, but Tucker Pullman. Tucker Pullman is signed for two more years after this season. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and that's another guy. Like, if he's healthy and ready to play next year, what do you do with a guy like Tucker Pullman? Like, I would assume you probably just ship him to the A unless, you know, he proves and wins a battle um, and becomes an everyday NHLer. But, yeah, you, this, this blue line is crowded, but not in a good way. It's crowded with players that are below replacement level or players that are and have been, I'm looking at Dermot and Pullman, uh, have sustained injury kind of year after year. Like Dermot was a guy I was pretty excited about when we uh, acquired him last year, but he just hasn't been able to stay healthy since being traded to the Canucks. And, you know, I I think they gave up a third round pick for him or whatever it was. It was the same pick yeah. I believe they got when they traded uh, Hamannick to Ottawa. They ended up flipping that pick for Dermot, I believe. It wasn't. It wasn't that pick. It was. Uh, it was the, another one. They had two thirds. I think I can't remember exactly how it worked, but um, yeah, it was a third round. It was a third round they got for Hamannick, and then they traded another third for uh, Dermot. I believe it was. I'd have to double check that. Yeah, I believe they actually acquired their own third round pick back from Ottawa too. Yeah. Um, is how it worked. But uh, yeah, Dermot's a guy that I, I don't know, man. He just hasn't stayed healthy. I, I could see the Canucks walking away from him uh, at the end of this year, and you know, wishing him all the best. And then you got Tucker Pullman. I mean, two more years Pullman is signed for. That blows my mind that he's still signed for two more years. And who knows what's going to happen with him? Um, you know, if he gets healthy. And again, I hope the guy does get healthy. A concussions are a serious thing. Uh, especially this day and age, but that's another guy that you you, you kind of worry about uh, heading into next year, and that could comp that could complicate the not only roster spots but some of the cap issues and cap constraints that the team finds themselves in. Only eleven games so far this year for for Travis Dermott. Um, it'll be interesting. I that could be a guy. Maybe you, you flip at the deadline or something too. I don't know, but. Uh, um, it's, it's, I like Travis Dermott, uh, the person, but it's going to be tough for me to see where he fits in most games he's ever played in season 64. That was in his second year with Toronto. So, um, he, he's not looking right now like a guy you can fully rely on. Uh, it's going to be pretty fun though, watching this. I, I think this is, I think you've started to see some of the pieces, um, or just sort of some of the direction where this management group wants to go. I'm I'm of the mindset that I think they did a good job with Bo Horvat to the trade deadline. Myself, I think they did a good job. I think the team is in better shape than it was before the Bo Horvat trade. So baby steps, hopefully trending in the right direction. But I feel like now that you've kind of made those moves, I, I think this offseason is going to be really fun and to watch and I think they I think we're going to see some more big shakeups and again you get to an off season teams have cap space you can you can move players a lot better yeah that's why I don't think you saw a guy like Brock Besser get moved at the deadline yeah and I know you and I mentioned this on the last episode but I do think a lot of the times just because a deal doesn't get done by the trade deadline this year doesn't mean the groundwork has been set for a future trade between two teams regarding a player heading into the offseason this year or even heading into the deadline for next year. We saw this. There were rumors a year out before the Canucks made that deal with Arizona for OEL that they were kind of already talking about what a deal for OEL would look like. And year jump a year ahead, they figure out what the parameters to the deal is and they pulled the trigger and made the deal and you know, it's it's probably set this franchise back a couple of years, unfortunately. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I I think the Heronic trade. I th- I think like a lot of fans, we we want to see him 
you know, just see him on the ice and stuff like that. I, I'm excited for that addition. I am worried because he is an RFA at the end of next year. How much is it going to cost to re-sign him? Um, but I, he is a really good player. He's a right-shot defenseman, which, you know, they're they're so hard to find in the NHL nowadays. And he he's he's worth what the Canucks gave up. I just, I think what a lot, the argument for a lot of fans is, is this the time to make that kind of transaction? And that can be debated, right? I mean, you look at the strides Detroit has made this year. They're not that far out of a playoff spot, but Eisenman looked at his roster and decided, hey, we're not there yet. And I think this is sort of the messaging that a lot of Canuck fans want. And this is what the issue is with Jim Benning. And I think this seems to be what the messaging is coming from Patrick Elveen is we don't just want to be a playoff team. We want to be a Stanley Cup contender. We want to win a Stanley Cup. And the moves that Steve Eiserman made at this past tra- trade deadline, trading a guy like Philip Peronik, which nobody knew he was available. Nobody saw that trade coming. And obviously pending UFA Tyler Bertuzzi, who is a very good player, you know, he decided, hey, you know what? Getting to the playoffs isn't good enough for us this year. We want to still stockpile picks and prospects. And then in a couple of years, when potentially we're ready to sell off some of these young guys for help, immediate help today, we'll be in a position to do that. And I think that's where the Canucks, it seems like they kind of, they jump on these things a year or two too early. I know that was some of the criticism with the JT Miller trade. I still look at that JT Miller trade. I still think it was a a good trade for the Canucks. I don't think they gave up a huge amount to acquire a player of JT Miller's ilk. And I do think when everything's said and done with Philip Peronik, I think we'll feel the same way. I sure hope so. And I mean, the thing as well is if uh, your worst case, you know, you mentioned uh, the contract, your worst case is Philip Peronik has a great year next year and looks to be pricing himself out of the market. He's RFA. You can trade him. You know, yeah. you you could do you could flip him again and get uh, another RD back in the process. I mean, if the worst if the worst part out there is that oh he's going to be expensive to re-sign, fuck, I'll take that any day out of a player. You know, like I mean, because uh, especially when you have you control the player, he's not a UFA. You control where he goes from that point on. So. Uh, I, I'm excited to see Heronic. I think that for me uh, with that um, is, and, and you know, I know he's, I've said this before, but Pedersen and Hughes and what we're seeing from Demko now as well. Demko's back four games, all of a sudden, 226 goals against average, 932 save percentage in those four games. Um, so you could, you could say those three guys, like you got something there. And if you think you can build around it, build around it. If you think that you can't blow it all up, but I don't think you can kind of with where they are right now, they're kind of in this murky middle of a space. You could either blow up the team and, and start completely fresh, or you can kind of start trying to start surrounding this team with guys in the same age range. And so, you know, I, 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 I think, I think the, the heroic trade is the right move. Um, but Again, you know, I've I've been wrong about things in the and this team many times before, but I, I do feel like this heroic one is different. Um, I think Canucks fans are going to see a player, a style of player that they haven't really seen on this team, especially on the right side in a long time. Yeah, 
I, again, not quite the same type of player, but he does have a lot of the same attributes of a Sammy Sallow. He's got For an sure. absolute bullet from the point. He's taken some massive strides this year on the defensive side of his game and even with the penalty kill as well. And Sammy Sallow was a guy, I know we all talked about how uh, an amazing a shot Sammy Sallow had, but he was actually very underrated, I feel like, and underappreciated as far as a defensive defenseman as well. His defensive acumen um, was really good and not really talked about enough, I think, in this market. And I think that's a guy that we're kind of seeing with Hironic. I think Hironic's actually a better skater than Sammy Sallow was, and that's not to say Sammy Sallow wasn't a good skater, but I just think Hironic is actually a better skater than him. And... when a player like that, especially a right shot defenseman who are, they are for whatever reason right now, they are the hardest position to kind of fill in the league. And when they're available, I also think John Marino was a guy that was linked to the Canucks in the off season. And for whatever reason, that trade did not materialize. And I think they regretted that, especially because Marino has been playing very well for New Jersey this year. And I think when this, deal kind of came to them, whether they reached out about Heronic's availability or Detroit reached out to say, hey, would you guys have any interest in acquiring Philip Heronic? I think the fact that they didn't close the deal for John Marino in the offseason, I think that kind of put some pressure on them to make sure they got the player they wanted, especially a guy who, let's be fair, you brought up the Bo Horvat trade. Most pundits Media types who are usually hypercritical of the Canucks and fans that have been somewhat hypercritical of the Canucks. Most people think that the Canucks got probably the best value of all the star players that were traded in this kind of, we'll call it the deadline season. So going back to when Horvat was traded all the way up to where Timo Meyer got moved this past deadline season, the Canucks probably got the best return on any of the other players that were moved. I mean, I look, I, I felt what the Sharks got back for Timo Meyer was extremely underwhelming, in my opinion. Um, and so they did really good work there. And, you know, I you can criticize whether or not the timing for acquiring Heronic was right, but to, to act like that trade erased all of the good work they had done up until they acquired Heronic. I mean, trading a guy like Riley Stillman for a prospect, and sure, this kid, Bloom, is a... a a far shot from becoming an everyday NHL player, but whatever, you've got another young prospect in your in your camp now, which is great. Um, going off of Curtis Lazar, a guy who I think most fans, you know, we liked the deal, one million for three years, thought he could come in and be that right shot, fourth line center, be good on the penalty kill. He struggled this year. And the one thing people got to give credit to this management group, they're not afraid to pull away from their mistakes. They've done that a couple times. Riley Stillman's a perfect example of that, as is Curtis Lazar. So, yeah, I I look at this team and I, I do see where they're trying to go. And we're st- we're going to add, I, I agree with you, Pete, as well. Uh, there's no way, unless you can like trade your first round pick this year to get out of the OEL deal and literally retain no salary on it, there's no way they're trading their first round pick this year. And they're going to add another really highly skilled player to the prospect pool, whether that ends up being a center or a defenseman. I like this David Reinbacher kid, uh, the Austrian kid. I think he's going to be a really good defenseman. That's kind of who I think is the best defenseman in this class. In my opinion, I think this team is, I think this team is on a better trajectory than what a lot of fans think. I hope so. I just feel like, uh, 
um, you know, there's a lot of parallels here, right? I feel like the, it feels like a little bit of deja vu from last year where late in the season, the Canucks are winning uh, pretty much meaningless games with a new-ish coach and you're, you're, we're seeing some optimism. But um, I, I think I, f- I do feel like what I've seen from Pedersen and Hughes and Demko and Miller and Kuzmenko, it's like, okay, well, that's a quarter of your starting lineup right there, right? Like, there's something there. So, you know, here's hoping. I think there. I think as well, one thing I was thinking about today uh, when I was at work is there's there's a lot of anger, rage, or whatever. There, there always is. But how the Canucks are winning now, right? They're on a three-game winning streak. They're, uh, what did I say? They were like 9-7-2 and two or something under Tockett, something like that. Anyways, they're above 500 under Tockett. And people are like, oh, classic Canucks. They're, they're only winning when it doesn't matter. Well, I mean, the season, like like any other sport, a season is really many seasons all in one. And the Canucks got off to a shitty start. Then they had some brutal injuries, you know, losing Demko for 35 games in there. That d- doesn't help. And now you're finally, it's like, okay, they've got a coach who's now got some systems going. You got Demko back. Uh, your team is mostly healthy. And you've now got a stretch of games against teams that you should beat. And they're winning. And that's kind of what you expect. So, like, I I know that people are seeing the odds of Bedard kind of drift away. I never really thought we had a a shot at Bedard myself. I didn't at the start of the season. I I didn't think the Canucks were going to be in the running for Bedard anyways. So, you know, whatever. uh, But I do think this is... Again, this is just a part of a season where the Canucks are going to get their record back to a point where they probably deserve to be more so. I think where their record was has been a little poorly flattering to the team uh, overall. I think they're better than what their record has been. And I mean, they had some awful goaltending and defense for long stretches this year, awful penalty killing. um, And those things, if you rectify those this year, this offseason... Um, I think you're going to see uh, a much better product on the ice. At least I really hope so, man. I mean, because I feel like, again, I feel like I've said this before, but I do think there is more reason to be optimistic. And again, also got bringing in guys like Atu, Ratu, and, and Vitaly Kravtsov, like getting some of the guys like that into your system, that's some nice business too. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens, man. But um, uh, I, I'm, I'm extremely curious to see what happens with the draft and what happens with this offseason. Yeah, and I think most fans expect this roster to look different between when the season ends to when training camp begins next year. Whether one of the wingers, like a Garland or a Besser, gets moved, whether they buy out OEL or they're able to move Tyler Myers' contract, I I do think that this team is going to look quite a bit different between when the season ends this year to next year. Um, At the end of the day, like they're adding good young skilled pieces to this roster. And I know a lot of us have PTSD from when Benning tried to do this with the Linden Vase and all those swings and misses throughout the years. But I do think a guy like Heronic especially is more of a proven commodity that they were able to kind of get um, relatively unexpected. And then Kratzoff as well. Like he has, he, you're seeing that, that flair from him whether or not he can put it all together consistently, that remains to be seen. But you do see those spots. And he is a big guy. He's a big frame. But he's actually been a little bit more physical than I expected him to be as well. I think one of the big things this team's got to do is they kind of got to 
figure out what they're going to do with the glut of wingers they currently have. They need to free up cap space, and that seems to have been an ongoing issue for this team. But once they could free up some cap space and give themselves a little bit of flexibility, that's when they can kind of pounce on teams looking to shed payroll and potentially add a really high-skilled player for pennies on the dollar. Yeah, man, I uh, I agree. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun to watch. I, hey, look, I, and we got this soft schedule kind of down the stretch here, and so I'm just gonna keep enjoying the games. And if we start winning too many of them, hey, whatever, you know, I I just I just enjoy watching the games. But I, I again, I, I think Bedard is was always a long shot. Um, and again, you could be the worst team in the league, and and you're not necessarily gonna get the first overall spot. Um, Doug, with all that said. Why don't we take this to the free pour? All right. It's that time of the episode for the free pour open floor segment. And I want to talk about board games. Um, You know, Grace and I, we have a pretty good collection of board games. And I just love playing board games. Uh, It's... I just got, Grace got me a new board game now. I haven't played it yet. It's called Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion, which I'm really excited to play. Um, We've been playing Pandemic quite a bit. Obviously, Settlers of Catan, which is like a better version of Monopoly. For all you Monopoly people out there, stop playing Monopoly. Start playing Settlers of Catan. It's so much better. The games actually finish, which is great. Um, I've also got another game, Haunting, A Haunting on Hill House, which is a really fun kind of dungeon crawler game, which kind of, you're all a party playing together, and then all of a sudden this event happens, and the whole script gets flipped around, and it's a very fun party game. But uh, yeah, man, I just want to kind of share my love and appreciation for board games. Pete, you got to come out to the Delta place and play a board game night with us, because we've got a nice arsenal of board games to play, and yeah, man board games so much fun i'll start i'll start looking into flights out to delta and uh we can we can do that <laughs> one of these days hey i just want to talk uh quickly about a little something something i know we've talked about this group a lot lately um but i want to talk a little bit more about de la soul uh, they've been in the news a lot obviously with everything that's happened with the passing of dave um but I did a little bit of looking, and their tour is going on. And I booked tickets to see De La Soul in London at the Royal Albert Hall before uh, Dave's passing. And that's going to be their first show back uh, since that happened. And it's going to be their first time ever at the Royal Albert Hall. Um, I think it's pretty good. It's just going to be pretty cool. It's going to be a little piece of hip-hop history that I'm going to get to be there for. Um, also, you know, I know we've talked about how everything is back on streaming now, finally, for Dela, and they repressed all their albums. I got my copy of Three Feet High and Rising. Uh, I did the pre-order for that, which is one that I think every hip-hop fan needs to have on their record shelf. So very excited about that. But, again, yeah, just wanted to give... I know we've talked about them quite a bit lately, but... Um, I've went down some YouTube rabbit holes as well uh, with, with Dela, and um, I just wanted to give them another shout-out because I'm pretty stoked to see them in just under a month. I'm going to say this right now, Pete. Surprise guest, Damon Albarn comes out during that Dela Soul uh, concert in the Royal Albert Hall, and they do a couple of gorilla tracks. I was I was thinking that, or I was thinking Dell or someone might yep. show up too. Uh, uh, there's gonna be there's gonna be surprises, and uh, I, I can't wait for that. 
Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 138, that's season four, episode 19 of the Canucks Speak Easy podcast is just about in the books. And Doug, you know what sport we haven't talked about on the outro for a little bit? Uh, golf. Oh, yes. Uh, that would be <laughs> ever, I believe, because I just don't know enough about golf. But uh, no, man, our number two sport, maybe our number one, our, yeah, it's our other favorite sport, the NFL. Um, interesting week for quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, obviously you're the resident Seahawks fan here, but uh, Geno Smith signed an extension, and I think most people feel like it's a really team-friendly extension, but it's also a really good extension for Geno Smith, personally. Uh, this doesn't necessarily prohibit the Seahawks from potentially drafting a quarterback at this draft. Uh, how do you feel about Geno Smith? Three-year deal. The guy got paid. I mean, it's so nice to see a guy like that who's been around for so long come out and do what he did. Uh, get a boatload of money. It's going to be set for life. And uh, he, yeah, you know, you can bring in another quarterback to mentor under him for a few years. But he's Seattle's got their starter for the next three years. Um, I love to see it. Um, he's getting paid less than what Derek Carr got and also what Daniel Jones got. Yeah, and I mean, Daniel Jones, I think it was pretty... Most people thought he would re-sign with the Giants. Carr to the Saints, that'll be interesting. And then there's a lot of smoke around Aaron Rodgers going to the Jets. Oh, man, I'd love to see that. That would be... Uh, That'd be a lot of fun uh, having the, the New York teams, man. They, they, they got some stuff going on over there. I'd, I'd like to see Aaron Rodgers go over there. Uh, yeah, I don't know if he'd be able to handle the New York media, though. <laughs> I think they're, uh, the New York media is a, it's a whole other animal. Oh, it's a different beast, but uh, I'm here for it, man. I would, I would love to see it. But, yeah, awesome for the Seahawks. Very stoked to see Geno around. Um, and, uh, yeah. We've only got like what seven more months until football now. But the NFL, one thing they do great is through that offseason, they they keep people engaged and uh, and lots of quarterback news breaking this week. Um, and folks, uh, once again, you can follow myself on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore Gas. Do check out our playlist on Spotify, the Cannot Speak Easy Outro playlist. Give that a follow. You can follow me on Twitter at Doug Ben. Be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Canuck Speak. As always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego. Hasta luego.